Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche, of course, start their series tonight. The uh, title defense begins in earnest as the uh, Seattle Kraken come into town for game one. Joining us now to talk about it from the Denver Gazette is Kyle Fredrickson there. Kyle, thank you for for joining us. Uh, Obviously, with the injury situation for the Avs, we know about uh, Gabriel Landeskog. But otherwise, as we were talking about it earlier, uh, this team otherwise may be as healthy as it's been all year. Is that right? It's pretty dang close. And, you know, Jared Bednar is, is playing his cards, you know, near <laughs> his chest uh, to start. Basically Inside his hey, chest. Reporters, yeah, yeah, you're getting nothing. Don't expect nothing. Uh, you know, that's basically playoff mode, Jared. And I think in some sense that news is going to come out in one way or the other from the player or what we see at morning skates. So there is some something to decipher there. But, yes, I mean, uh, no one in a red no-contact jersey at practice. Uh, I think everyone but Andrew Cogliano out there this right. morning at morning skate. So, yeah, I mean, for, for the most part, it's going to be a, a healthy team. And, and nowhere is that more important than, than on the back end with, with Kale McCarr and Josh oh. Manson coming back. Yeah. I really do think that changes the entire complexion of this team. Uh you know, I, I think if you were going to rank the defensemen, you'd have McCarr, Taves, and Byram 1, 2, and 3. But from a physical uh, standpoint, if you're talking about uh, sandpaper style of play, <laughs> that's Manson more than it is any other avalanche defenseman. So getting him back uh, will be huge. I guess the only real question mark about the avalanche going in this game against this particular opponent, which is as a team, at least in the playoffs for the first time, the avalanche have a first time or two, and he happens to be their goaltender. Georgiev has never played in the playoffs before. He's never started a playoff game. Um, That's another area of curiosity, isn't it? To see how he will respond against old friend, Philip Grubauer. Oh yeah, definitely. The, the, the goalie matchup uh, in this one is, is great in, in a lot of ways. And, yeah, all eyes on Gorgiev and his first playoff start. I mean, at this point, you know, all signs point to him being a really great starter in the playoffs, you know, for, for what the Avs had to give up to, to get him, for, for sort of the, the quality tending that, that Darcy Kemper provided uh, a year ago in the playoffs. I really think the, the Avs are, are set up pretty well. But, yes, of, of course he's going to have to prove it. And this is a Kraken team that is deep and, and can score in a lot of ways. I mean, I think they have six or seven guys with at least 20 goals this season. It, it shows you, you know, how, how deep their roster is. And, and that's not really a strength of this Avalanche team like a year ago, right? I mean, that was a, a squad that could score, you know, up and down four lines. But they've really had to lean on Nathan McKinnon and, and Nico Ranton in this season being 100-point guys. So that clash in style is going to be interesting. You know, I, I think the, the logic is typically – Scoring goes down in the postseason, but but these are two teams that all throughout the season uh, going into the playoffs, um, you know, they've been able to light it up at at different times. So going to be fascinating to watch, but Georgiev certainly has the confidence, you know, to be that top guy in net for the Avs. Kyle, when the the Avs defense is playing well, and as you're saying, as it appears to be uh, ready to be back in action as as a real full unit for the first time in many, many, many months, 
what they were really good at was limiting the raw number of shots, but also limiting the high danger shots in the slot. Now, Georgiev is a great side-to-side goaltender, a lot of agility there. But how quickly do you think that style of play can be reformed? Do you think we'd see it tonight? Do you think it's a couple games until these these three pairs get all their kind of rhythm back together? You know, I think it'll be pretty quick. You know, the, the, the last time that Josh Manson came back from an injury, this has been a nagging thing from him. He had one of his, his best games of the season. So in terms of, you know, kind of how inserting, you know, McCarr and, and others is going to go from the start, I do think that the Avalanche played it safe going into the end of the year in, in terms of, you know, making sure these guys are super ready, maybe holding them out in games that they would otherwise play. But, yeah, this is always going to be a, a team that creates this offense off of defensive stops and, and, and off of its guys, you know, making plays in their own zone and, and getting that transition game going. I mean, it's, it's going to be a simple game. That's what the Avs want to do, you know, get up and down, go north and south. But, you know, yeah, in, in terms of making Gorgiev's life easier, it, it's going to have to be a, a big combination of things. You know, with, and with Manson being physical and playing that style, you know, the hopefully that bleeds out to, to everyone on that blue line of, of playing that type of defense where you're hard on pucks and, and guys feel suffocated. So uh, we've seen it in perps, spurts from the Avs this season, um, but then again, they haven't had this full unit. So, uh, you know, it, maybe it's not the, the first shift where everything's clicking right away, but I do expect the, it to be a strong performance in game one uh, right out of the gate, even with those guys coming off uh, basically, uh, you know, no games in the regular season, you know, over the past few weeks. Neither of these teams known for belligerence, Kyle. Uh, but sure. three of the four Western teams playing last night, other than the Wild, weren't known for being particularly physical either. And I watched just about all the Kings-Edmonton game, and to say that was not physical would be a, a, a gross case of mischaracterizing uh, the contest. Um, it, we, we talk about Manson. You just spent some time talking about... Uh, um, how the Avalanche need to be hard and uh, hard to play against, and that means sometimes uh, playing a more uh, physical game. Uh, they're more spunky over on the Seattle side than uh, they are noted for uh, uh, hard hitting or a willingness to uh, uh, apply the body with great force. Uh, do you imagine that we'll be surprised tonight, or do you think, this will look like the three regular season games that were staged between uh, the two teams, which uh, none of which, as I can remember, were notably uh, physical. Right. Yeah. 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 I would think, you know, just as a guess, these are two teams that play with a lot of speed and, and rely on that. So I do think it'll be more of an up and down game than a, you know, rock'em sock'em deal. But then again, it's it's hard to predict, right? This is such a different animal, playoff hockey. It's, it's always been fascinating to me, just really looking at all professional sports. It really does feel like an entire different season when you go into playoff mode. And and it's true of a lot of sports when you have seven-game series and, and there's rivalries that come and guys getting nasty with each other. But the intensity of hockey is, is just crazy. And, and the way that these guys play through injuries, to me, it's it's one part honorable and two part just a little nuts, right? I mean, yeah. at what point uh, can, can a guy just you know get a shot of Toradol and just keep going back out there, or, or however these guys are, are able to to keep playing? So the physicality is going to be huge. Um, you know, I I think I even look at a guy like Nathan McKinnon getting fiery at times in the playoffs and 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 players following his lead. 
But, of course, they're going to be protecting him as well. And, yes. you know, Curtis McDermott isn't a guy who's going to get much ice time. But if he has to retaliate, at, at least the Avs mm. have a player on their roster mm. capable of doing that. That's so, a good question. Uh, yeah, it's a, That's a good yeah. question. Is McDermott going to play tonight, do you imagine? I don't think so tonight. You know, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Eric Johnson, um, he, he kind of left the, the ice early, right. early, and we didn't get a chance to talk to him, so it, it looks like Jack Johnson's coming in the lineup. But, you know, Jared does have some decisions to make with a little bit of defensive depth uh, coming back. You know, Curtis was a guy who's, who's played big minutes all year, and, and even on their cup run, uh, you know, during the regular season, uh, you know, was relied upon pretty heavily at times. Right. but. He's not going to be their first choice in the playoffs, I think, unless they need him. So for game one, maybe don't expect him in there. But, you know, if things get chippy and the abs feel like they they need more of that edge, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him come in, uh, you know, games two and on. We're talking with Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette. It's Kyle Fredrickson on Twitter. It's the Fred Rick Sun. There's not that uh, E in there that sometimes you see. So Appreciate you, that. Yeah, right. no problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, with, with names like Drotar and Clough, we have to spell it, so don't worry about it. Ah, but the, okay. <laughs> the right, situation right. there for the Avs, as you pointed out, the uh, it is a different season. And when you're talking about a, a new team in the Kraken and when you're talking about an Avalanche team that is – uh, for the most part, returning the majority of its defending championship roster. How much does that experience come into play in the early going? And you talked about Nathan McKinnon's leadership. How can that fill some of the gap that will be left by Gabriel Landeskog's absence? Yeah, yeah. Those are both great points. And and I think the experience thing is, is huge, right? We we talked to, to Josh Manson earlier today just about kind of like what the nerves are like going into a series. And and yeah, you know, and, until you get out there and experience it, you know, there's there's going to be butterflies. There's there's excitement, but but there's also just kind of that lingering. All right, like, are we ever gonna are we ever gonna get here? Uh, and that's certainly amplified when you're a team that's never done it before. For the Abs, you know, a lot of that is reduced. There's going to be some younger guys on the roster in bigger roles. Maybe they've got you know little butterflies. I wouldn't be surprised if JT Comper was thinking, all right, you know, here's here's my shot to prove that that I'm the two C here. But, right. you know, it's it's, right. it's going to give them a lot of comfort going into this game until knowing, hey, we've done it before with the majority of these guys. And, you know, without Landeskog on the team, you know, that, that dynamic of, of leadership is, is interesting to me because everyone is a, is a leader in their own way in this locker room, especially when, you know, there's there's not just one or two veteran guys who, who are pacing this team. But I love that Jared Bednar, you know, lets players be themselves. You know, Nate was asked recently, like, hey, do you need to step up emotionally you know, to be there for the guys as that type of leader. And he didn't miss a beat. He's like, nope, that's not who I am. You know, I'm not going to change what I do. I'll talk if I need to, but, you know, my actions are going to lead the way. And and that's the sort of honesty that this team needs, right? Like, I don't think you need a room full of Nathan McKinnon, but when you have one on the team, that holds everyone accountable. And then a guy like Miko Rantanen, you know, who's kind of just big and goofy, but obviously very serious when when the puck drops, uh, it creates a nice kind of blend that, that uh, of styles. That has created this culture, right? I mean, there's a reason why the Avs won the Central Division despite so much adversity. It's because of guys like McKinnon and, and Rantanen who's, who've led the way and have kind of had their own, you know, styles of, of doing it. And and to have that variety, it's I think it's really made this Avalanche team all that much better. Maybe it's different in the Pacific uh, with uh, Vegas having won the division, but Edmonton, uh, the loss last night notwithstanding, still getting most of the play as maybe even the best team in the entire conference now. But uh, I, I'm looking at Boston and Carolina. Uh, 
heavy favorites uh, in the East, and both took care of business last night rather routinely. And I'm thinking uh, for a first-place team and a defending Stanley Cup champion, there doesn't seem to be a lot of external pressure or great expectations thrust on the avalanche. Is it your sense that that could be advantageous? I think so. I think there's a benefit to being uh, the underdog versus the front runner, right? And and if anything, the, the the sort of the circumstances were reversed a year ago when there was so much pressure on the team. They're of the course. number one seed. They've never won it. But yeah, you, you you make a great point in that it's it's a lot easier to to maybe strike when you're in the shadows uh, <laughs> than it is to, when everyone has that spotlight. Now that being said, anyone who draws the abs in the playoffs is going to go, holy cow what do we do to stop this team simply because, you know, outside of dry and uh, McDavid with the Oilers, there's not a better one two punch than, than McKinnon and Rantanen. And, and that should give the abs a, 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 and their fans a lot of hope going into this postseason, being that you have two of the best players in the world, but there isn't this intense outside pressure. I, I do think the, the team does a great job of insulating themselves this time of year. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that Bednar is going to, lock up with injury news and, and lineup decisions because it's part of this culture. It's like, all right, let's, you know, we're going to tune out all the outside stuff or we're, we're not going to make a big show of this. It's time to get to work. So yeah, when I look at, at how this division shakes out and, and how the, the conference and, and everything might go for the avalanche, my preseason predictions, I, I was sort of riding this Edmonton train thinking that, Hey, if, if McDavid's going to win it really ought to be this year. I mean, it's his so best phenomenal. Team. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, 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 why not? But boy, you lose game one, and then you're reminded. All right, NHL playoffs, man. This thing is unpredictable, and and all these teams, even though everyone talks smack about the West being sort of mediocre, every team that's in the playoffs is is, is pretty dang good, and and I think could compete, uh, you know, for that conference crown. So, going to be a lot of fun. I, I would still give a nod to maybe Oilers over Bruins in the final, um, but I'd be happy to be wrong just to sort of enjoy the drama that it would produce. I want to follow up quickly uh, on that point since you brought up Edmonton and and specifically McDavid. Uh, McDavid, listen, in all circumstances throughout his career, has been a magnificent player. But even Connor McDavid's numbers, and he was scoreless last night, no goals, no assists. Even McDavid's numbers drop a little bit in the playoffs. Nathan McKinnon goes from averaging 1.07 points per game in the regular season to playing more than a minute and a half more per game in the playoffs and averaging 1.33 points per game in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't know if anybody currently playing for an appreciable number of years and games can say that they go up in the playoffs more than a quarter point per game, that their production gets better against the better teams in the playoffs. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it, and it's really a nod to McKinnon's greatness, right? And, you know, if we're going to have this debate, McDavid versus McKinnon, the, the raw numbers and the analytics mostly are going to point in McDavid's favor, but you can't replace the sort of intensity that, that Nate brings. And, you know, even with the media, he's, He's chippy. There's times where he doesn't want to talk to us. And, and for me, that's okay because I've always sort of looked at Nate as the, the emotional barometer of this team, you know, and when there's been and losses and, 
and it's easy for reporters to look and say, oh, man, what's going wrong with this team? The sky is falling. There's been nights where Nate's like, eh, chill. Like, we, we played pretty good. You know, we're, we're really not worried. And then there's nights where he doesn't want to talk or, or nights where we come to the dressing room and, and he's already gone. And sometimes, you know, silence speaks volumes. Um, but, yeah, to, to, to eventually maybe see these guys back in the series uh, against one another would be phenomenal. It, it'd be great drama. You know, great for the sport if the NHL wanted to finally promote its stars properly just because both of these guys are, are so phenomenal. But you go, you look at the, the history. I mean, the Avs swept the Oilers last year. They opened their postseason with a loss. That's five playoff losses in a row for supposedly the best player in the world. Um, you know, that's not something that you could say about Nathan McKinnon. I could go back and, and look at some of his playoff exits, but, you know, he's been able to carry teams just like he carried the Avs in their finale to secure the Central Division in a way that we just haven't seen from McDavid yet. Um, but, you know, maybe this is the year for McDavid. Maybe not. You know, as of right now, you know, I think McKinnon wears that crown. He is Kyle Fredrickson. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, at Kyle Fredrickson, and check out everything putting together at the Denver Gazette as the Avalanche start their title defense run tonight against the Kraken down at Ball Arena. Thanks for all the time. Uh, Kyle, have a wonderful night, and uh, try to catch some sleep if you can. Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be fun. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. Kyle joining us there. It is the Avalanche try, of course, to uh, to get that win tonight, start the playoffs off the, wrong, the right way, and make sure you're off the right foot, and make sure you get this uh, – crack it more or less out the door as fast as possible remember if you are injured you need a winner too and so make sure that you check out our friends at burnhamlaw.com at 720-845-7001 you want to hire a winner and their personal injury attorneys have had years of experience fighting for their clients uh, there are locations all over the front ranges fort collins is boulder westminster cherry creek colorado springs the dtc even in cheyenne and when you're injured they will push for you to get the maximum recovery however they need to do it. It's settlement, it's trial, they'll take care of it. So don't hire someone off the billboard. Hire the proven winner, people that will fight for you when you're seriously hurt because you need a win. So call BurnhamLaw. Call them at BurnhamLaw.com. The number is 720-845-7001. That's BurnhamLaw.com. The Denver Nuggets are set to... Do a number on the Minnesota Timberwolves, and we have a little bit of a fun event to tell you about while we're at it. I'll share it with you next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, if you didn't know, if you're familiar with the sort of uh, Nuggets Nation and the uh, the longtime blogs, well, the, the leader of the band there is Deborah Stiffs. Classic guy. It's kind of funny because... Uh, He's a good friend of ours, and we'll actually have him on the program this week, but that blog originally started as FireGeorgeCarl.com. <laughs> it became Denver Stiffs, and, uh, and, and it took Until, off from uh, there. the good George... folks at Denver Stiffs were uh, talked out of that nonsense and actually uh, yeah. ended up establishing a pretty good relationship with them. Exactly, and uh, so we're delighted to work with, uh, with them as well. So when we're talking about, uh, game two tomorrow, the Denver Stiffs night out. The Nuggets watch party will be there for game two. That'll be at the Sportsbook Bar and Grill 
in Highlands Ranch, which is easy to get to. It's just off Broadway and 470, uh, an entire wall of televisions. And, and literally, it's like a wall of one television. So it's like yeah. a huge wall, and it's one television, and they can just make it any variety they'd like. So you'll be able to get the Nuggets and everything else. Uh, we're going to have prizes to give away. You can watch the game with other fans. Have a great time. Sandy, you and I are going to be there. We will be there. Uh, we, uh, Nate Lundy from uh, from uh, Miley Sports. Of course, you catch him on You Bet Tonight at Altitude. He'll be there. Uh, we'll have other people from Miley Sports there as well. Tip-off is at 8. We'll be there starting at 7.30. So come on out and, and, and watch that with us. And... What we're talking about in a lot of ways and what we need to watch, Sandy, and you've, you've leaned on it, is the nature of pace in today's NBA. Now, the Nuggets, during the regular season, and pace, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, is actually a fancy way of just saying the average number of possessions you have per game. It's just possessions per game. Uh, 98.74 is what the Nuggets had. That was 24th in the NBA during the regular season. Kind of hard to believe. That yeah. It's that slow. In their game one win, it was 94, even a little yeah. lower than yeah. that. Yeah, although I, it felt faster. It, it slowed down when the Nuggets got up by 30 points. Correct. I, I, it, this is an entire game. That's an entire game. And I think so during a huge the lead. few portions of the game really that were point. competitive, the Nuggets did push the pace. That's a really, really good point. And when you're talking about Pace in the NBA right now in the playoffs. Now, over the course of the regular season, the Golden State Warriors led the league with just about uh, 102. And they, there were only, when you're talking about the regular season, uh, a handful of teams that were even close to that, as a matter of fact. The interesting part is, right, this is, this is the idea that uh, it's the playoffs, so defense starts winning and everything. The Warriors were 150, uh, 102.5. The San Antonio Spurs were terrible and just running up and down and killing time. They were 102.7. No other teams were 102. Granted, it's a very small sample size in this playoffs, but the best teams are playing in the playoffs, and thus far, there would be six teams that have played thus far with a higher pace than what Golden State had to lead the league. (laughs) So all of a sudden, the notion that offense... Uh, d- just disappears during the postseason. Not entirely the case. A little bit like the NFL, where the Broncos, after 2015, really became the last elite defense to win a, a title without a top-tier offense. It's Correct. been top-tier offenses winning the Super Bowl ever since. This is coming to the NBA a little bit in, in a matter of getting yourself a good number of shots and an efficient number of shots so you can hit them at the right rate. That there's an offensive revolution that's happening that's very real that's even taking effect in the playoffs. And we're seeing that so far in the playoffs, the winning teams in the 10 games played are averaging almost 89 and a half shots per game, and it'd be over 90 if you didn't have Philadelphia last night only taking 80 shots and turning the ball over 19 times. Right. That, that stripped away a lot of their opportunities. Uh, to shoot the basketball, they only shot 16 free throws. They shot 35 threes and made 11, which isn't a very good percentage. Uh, th- they were basically uh, a bad offensive basketball team last night, and they still won the game by 12 points, 96-84. That was the ugliest game, I think, so far in the playoffs. I think the only one in which neither team reached 100 points. Uh, the other nine games vastly exceeded a uh, hundred at least for the winning yeah. side. Now it was one hundred nine eighty the other night. 
just because Minnesota was yeah. beyond bad offensively. Yeah, and the Nuggets were very good defensively. Right. And the Nuggets weren't very good on offense by their own standards and still scored 109. The the, the Nuggets' 80 allowed is by far the lowest, although the Nets did get 84 yesterday and up until the Sixers game. As, but as but the Nuggets took out. 90 shots. That's right. what I'm saying. And they, they didn't shoot that well. 41 for 90 is 45.5%. Uh, they didn't make their free throws. 11 of 17 is below 65%. They were good from three-point land over 40%. And in the way the game is played today, Charles Barkley calls it a three-point shooting contest. And there's quite often it to is, it. even in the playoffs, there's something to that. But it's still about taking more shots, and you factor in free throw differential. Um the average team in the playoffs winning games is taking more than five shots per game more than the losing team is. That's big. It's, it's in these become close a games, possessions that's game. big to yeah. get more shots off. In six of the ten games, the winning side has shot 45.7% or worse not lighting it up from the field, 60% of the playoff games so far. But here's the real stat. Lest you believe that because it isn't talked about very much, free throws can't have an impact on the outcome of games. Oh, yeah. All right? In the playoffs... The winning teams are shooting over 80% from the foul line. The losing teams are shooting less than 75.5% from the foul line, which is not terrible, but 22 free throws a game for the winners, 21 for the losers. That's And a- that added to the field goal attempt disparity uh, leaves you with uh, well over five shots a game more, uh, even though uh, the difference between the winner's shooting percentage from the field, 47%, and the loser's 45%, is not that great. Philadelphia that led great. the league in free throw percentage this year with 83.5 in the regular season. Miami at 83.1. Everybody else a little bit behind. Uh, there were seven teams that shot 80% or better. Uh, the Denver Nuggets were not one of them. As a matter of fact, the Nuggets are near the bottom at 75.1 a fifth last in the league. A dead, but interesting, though, dead last, Memphis. Second to last, Milwaukee. And, and then the Nuggets. But the problem is around them, a whole bunch of well, really bad teams. You Spurs, know Giannis is Hornets, a poor Rockets, foul shooter. Yuck. Right. right. But Giannis is a poor foul shooter. And, you know, there are other good teams that don't have great free throw shooters. Uh, Davis and LeBron aren't great free throw shooters. You know, they're not at 80%. Right. Right. And the Lakers are only at so, 77.5. So, right. They were but just out what, of the bottom the, 10. The, the Lakers, uh, in in their ball game the other day, uh, were, were doing reasonably well at the foul line. So uh, you go back and forth and, and look for deciding factors in uh, playoff games. Uh, the Lakers are 14 for 16. They didn't get there a lot, right? but they were 14 they hit for 16. And even Memphis, terrible foul shooting team, right? 15 mm-hmm. for 16. They needed more than 16 free throws. But they hit 93.8. But they, but they were, they were dead last 8. in the league in the regular season. So, you know, teams 
do tighten up, and the free throw shooting actually in the playoffs has has been pretty good. But that's a pretty big uh, difference, almost uh, uh, five percentage points greater for the winning teams at the line as opposed to losing teams, and a little more free throw activity, a little more free throw generation from the winners than the losers. Not much, but a little. And the field goal attempt disparity is pretty wide through 10 games in the playoffs so far. So, uh, you know, if you're not turning the ball over, you're playing the game probably pretty close to the right way, Mm -hmm. and you're getting more shots off. And in the playoffs, the Nuggets were the only team in the league that shot 50% during the year, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come close to shooting 50% in the playoffs. It, I it, would it, not it, think so. You know, these teams, most of them, play some semblance of defense. Only two teams out of the, the 16 reached it in a game. That would be the Lakers and, and the champions Heat. tend to be top 10 defensive teams through the years. And I'm talking about this century, okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe right. going back to the 90s. If you're not a top 10 defensive team during the regular season, you're probably not winning a championship. And that's why the Nuggets are right there on the precipice, not of contention, but of winning a championship because they're 11th. And so but they don't yeah. turn the ball over but, at an but extraordinarily high rate. they don't turn the ball rate. over very much. Uh, and, and, you know, Jokic and, and Murray are wonderful playmakers with, you know, two-to-one or better assist-to-turnover ratios. And they're the two primary ball handlers on the Nuggets team. And coming off the bench, for the most part, they don't have mistake players. Now, right. they, they, it's not the best bench in the league, but in Brown, Brown, and even Jeff Green, you don't have guys who make a lot of mistakes. They're usually pretty conscientious about the way they handle the basketball. And I think you can and throw Zeke Nadia in there as well. At least two of the three... Now, she's actually a pretty good defensive player. Mm-hmm. They can force turnovers, those guys. Oh, especially Naji, Brown, Brown and Brown, Brown for Brown, sure. Yeah. They, they force turnovers. They're very active defensively. And to do that without fouling, what killed Golden State, apart from Draymond getting thrown out of the game yeah. <laughs> seven minutes to go, uh, what hurt Golden State was they, they just fouled too much. And so... You know, you got Looney and Green in major foul trouble in the second half. Those are the two bigs. When you talk about the, and they, and they the don't difference. trust the kid Kaminga yeah, yeah, in they, generation. I mean, the 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 Kings at the Kings at twenty nine free throw attempts, twenty nine, and Golden State had 18, 18. in a game that, that they is, lost by eight. Lost by eight, and it's a huge I, factor in the game. The the, the free throw night. differential ended up and being it, six points it, of that eight point difference. And Sacramento got away with missing eight free throws and shooting under 72.5% last night at the line. They missed it. It's a bonus. I don't know what's wrong with him. He can't make a free throw. But it, they miss a ton of free throws uh, in, in both games, really. Yeah. And they've won both games because they've gotten so many of them. They've been able to outscore Golden State at the foul line with Golden State shooting a much better percentage. Yeah, 83.3. And Sabonis 8 for 12, but late uh, just was throwing I mean, well, remember when when he got on the line after uh, Green stepped on him, and maybe he was hurt. You, that could have been maybe it. cut him some slack on that count. But he gets up there by himself at the foul line, which always is, I I think, kind of unsettling. 
it for is guys who don't shoot a ton of free throws or don't shoot them that yeah, well. Getting your tech. And he bricked them both. Yeah. The Nuggets, of course, will play tomorrow. And uh, we, as we talk about pace, keep in mind, because of the nature of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, Minnesota Timberwolves play at one speed. Slow. Slow. Slow, slower, slowest. That's the all they've slower, got. The the better for them. And the NBA doesn't work that way anymore. And the Nuggets need to take advantage of not working that way because I think if they pick up their pace even a little and they don't make more mistakes. Game's over by the early second quarter stage. You'll just run them out of the gym. And so we'll find out if that happens. And so if you want to enjoy the festivities, by the way, come on down to Sportsbook Bar and Grill in Highlands Ranch. It's just right off Broadway in 470. Uh, we'll all be there about 730. Game's supposed to start uh, roughly 8, of course, uh, one of the late game, the latest game of the evening for TNT, but we'll be out there, and uh, hopefully you'll have an opportunity to join us. Uh, hopefully you've also got uh, either your tickets or your screens warmed up because the Avalanche start their title defense against the Kraken. We'll give our last look at that next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. All right, Avalanche fans, it's going for real. Now the Avs pick a hard push. They take the Central Division, the second seed in the West, and now they get the reward, the seventh-seeded Seattle Kraken. Alexander Georgiev will be making his first-ever playoff start, Sandy. He was tied with Linus Olmark of Boston for the league lead in wins with 40. <laughs> he was in the top 10 in the uh, he was number two in shutouts behind um, uh, only uh, Sorokin of the Islanders. Right. Uh, he was in the top 10 in save percentage, top 10 in shots against, just outside the top 10 uh, when it comes to goals against right. average with the 2.53. Uh, basically, uh, just an outstanding season where you could make the argument, I think you could make the very good argument, that he should be a, a Vezina-type candidate, but at the very least... In his first full season as a starter at the NHL level, he has been a top-five goaltender, and and not in a manner in which he just finished strong. He has essentially been this player the whole year and has slightly gotten better as he's gone along, which is exactly what you hope when you're looking. Do you maybe have a star on your hands? I do think there was a moment of truth around the time the Avalanche fell to 2017-3. and three. And right before that, they had a game up in Vancouver that they were leading by two goals late in the second period. And they gave up three goals, I think, in about two and a half minutes. And after the third goal, he took his stick and just threw it, basically, against the crossbar. Split his stick in two. You know, you see that from time to time. Sure. But after doing that, Kale McCarr happened to be in the vicinity and he turned around and apparently started screaming at Kale McCarr who had nothing to do with a goal that had just been scored against him. That was the fault actually of Devon Taves on that particular play. Just kind of, just kind of venting. But he was venting, but he was stepping over the line in, in going after McCarr that way. I don't think it really bothered McCarr all that much, but Bednar took notice and very quietly, uh, shortly thereafter, in a stretch of four out of six games, played Pavel Francouz over a perfectly healthy Alexander Georgiev. 
And I think that sent a message that Georgiev was not a part of last year's Stanley Cup championship team. Fransos not only was, but played because of Kemper's injuries a fair amount in the playoffs last year and played pretty much flawlessly in a one-loss sense Mm -hmm. in the playoffs last year. And a general reminder that apart from getting hurt all the time, Fransos does present an alternative. And I think the message got through. And I think he was he was better as a goaltender, maybe not by a lot, but better as a teammate after that. And it was a subtle message, but it was a message that I believe was received. I think by the end of the year, if you were just looking at form for this year, the two best goaltenders in the league, both last year and this year, are assumed to be Vasilevsky and Shesterkin. Shesterkin is a particular interest because he was the guy who took Georgiev's job when Georgiev was supposed to have been the successor to Lundqvist with the Rangers a few years back. And you go through all the numbers you just went through, and Georgiev is ahead of Shesterkin and Vasilevsky in virtually every category. And to be honest, with all the injuries... I'm not sure Georgiev was playing with a stronger team throughout the regular season. The Rangers were virtually as good as the Avalanche. Tampa Bay wasn't, but Vasilevsky and Shosturkin did not have their best years. And Georgiev stepped into the breach here, especially in Franco's case. Right. Franco's for an extended so period of does, time. Yeah, misses extended periods due to injury. And ended up playing, what, about 80% of the games? Mm-hmm. I mean, he ended up playing an extraordinary number so of games. He, it was he, a lot. As long as he's rested, and that, that, that would be my one fear, the ideal situation was the one in Boston, where the Bruins became the first team in hockey history to have one goaltender, win 40 games, and a backup win more than 20. Right. No team had ever done it. And their numbers are virtually identical. And Francois's numbers actually compare pretty closely with Georgiev's. And it was Daryl Sutter who, a couple months back, when Francois wasn't hurt, said, I think the best one-two goaltending combination of the league is actually in Denver, not Boston. Yep. That was his his opinion, and of course, then Francois got hurt, and there was no question that uh, of the two goalies in Boston uh, are are the best tandem in the league for this year. But uh, Georgiev was was terrific, more than they could have expected, and I think the idea in the playoffs, it, you'll get teams later on in the playoffs who are explosive, and even if the Avs are healthy on defense, they will need their goaltender maybe to steal a game or two in a given series. I don't think he should be expected to do that in this series. He shouldn't have to, but it'll be interesting to see how he responds when he is clearly on the stronger team, and it's highly probable that the Avalanche will outshoot the Seattle Kraken in this series, and he's going against Philip Grubauer, who in the last few years since leaving the avalanche 
has frankly not been very good. I, yeah, he's he's been more or less pedestrian. I think this is interesting. Now, obviously, so the, the goaltending edge should go clearly should. to Colorado. There are different. It's different though. When you look at at Georgiev's stats, when you look at on days rest, it's interesting. His goals against on back to back nights, second to back to back nights. No, he's only had five of those games. It's two on one day's rest, two point two four. Good on three on two days rest, two point seven eight. On three days rest, two point nine. And hope that doesn't carry his over. His save percentage play. with the three days rest at nine twelve is his worst, though he does have one of his shutouts. In that case, he's played eighteen games with that much rest. But it it has shown that maybe he's one of those guys that that deals with a pretty good rhythm. Basically, when he's getting one day off is when he's been best. Now you still have to be fresh before that starts. Yes, that's kind of what this is. So maybe this is just the reset. Yeah, gets his wind back. Now right. you're going and you basically are playing every other night for the most part. It's a pretty regular pattern in the playoffs, and of course you're never playing on back-to-back nights. Right, and so as it, good it, as he's been, it should suit when he's played back-to-back him, and and that's a good sign. And the other thing I've gone over this with his numbers as well. When you look at Georgiev's overall stats, and, and they're still extraordinarily impressive, you have to look at the fact that when he's been in wins, he's been dominant. Yes. He has, remember, 40 wins, tied for the league's best. Now, in the 22 games that are losses or overtime losses, his goals against is 3.9, and his save percentage is 885, which you expect. That's how you get a loss, right? 3.9 is a little on the ugly side, but those are in losses. In the 40 wins, Sandy, the save percentage jumps to 938. (laughs) In 40 wins, and... The goals against average of 1.82. Well, he won roughly two-thirds of his games. So two-thirds of the time, this guy is saving 94% of the shots faced against him. Right. The, the Avalanche have found a very good goalie. And, and a, a guy, hungry guy. Yes. A hungry guy who saw Shesterkin take the Rangers away during the take playoffs it. last yeah. year, and he's sitting there watching it. Uh, Francois felt a lot more a part of the playoffs last year than Alexander Giorgio. Well, yeah, they didn't take Shesterkin did. out. So Why, he's got that hunger, I think, to prove that now getting his first chance, he can be about as good in the playoffs as he was during this past regular season. And again, I, I look at, uh, you know, high danger chances and uh, shots on goal, even which aren't always indicative, but if the Avs are taking 30, 35 shots a game and have the better goaltender while Seattle's taking 20 to 25 a game, it's yeah. hard for me really to see does. any way that the Avalanche aren't at least 80% likely to win this series. Yes, I think that's at probably right. At least 80%. And I, I think win. they have not only, a, I mean, I think they have a significant goaltending advantage. I actually think, if I were to guess, if there's one player that's going to come out of this, as a star that Avs fans are going to now be like, okay, that, that's my new favorite player, or, or this guy's one of those. It's going to be Georgiev because I think not only is he hungry, not only is he the right age of 27, he's got the goods. I mean, I've, I've, I've broken it down on this show. When you're talking about defending the kind of offenses that you get in the Western Conference, especially these top lines with the dry settles and, and then the McDavid's of the world, it is the ability to move laterally, quickly, in multiple directions, without losing your balance, 
and finding yourself on the ground, which was Darcy Kemper's problem. Exactly. Uh, that he flopped on occasion, particularly when he was out of sorts. Georgiev very Georgiev, rarely flops. I, I don't see And he any doesn't flopping. give up a lot of no. rebounds. Exactly. And when you have a goaltender exactly. that can be going side to side, does not find himself on his back, and doesn't cough up a lot of rebounds, folks, you have a guy that's, that's an all-star. And I think the Avs have an all-star caliber player, and I think he'll look like it tonight. I want to make a quick point about the coaches because we, we know all about Bednar, uh, Stanley Cup championship coach last year. Speaking of people who do better in the playoffs than they do regular season, how about Bednar? 592 in the regular season, 635 in the playoffs, 40 wins, 23 losses in his coaching career here in Denver in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Extraordinary record. 40-23. and 23. Dave Haxtell got into the playoffs twice in Philadelphia. They went out both times in six games in the first round. 4-8, winning percentage of 333. Uh, Haxtell has been with uh, Philadelphia and now, of course, Seattle, and they had a terrific year uh, this year. And, you know, if he were a Coach of the Year candidate, I wouldn't object to... Uh, that, I, I think he did a terrific job after coaching a first-year expansion team last year. But the thing that stands out to me about Dave Haxtell that's kind of interesting, he's an excellent coach. His record shows that. At North Dakota, he went to seven, count them, seven frozen fours. Zero national championships. Ouch. Well, Ravs fans, they don't hope he gets any better. <laughs> so he's never won a championship. He's an accomplished coach particularly on a college level, but he's never won a championship. It, 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 which gets back to this whole Bednar thing from last year that he had to win to keep his job or whatever nonsense was floating around out there. It's hard to win a Stanley Cup for any coach. It Just win one. Is. The Avs have done it. They are going to start their pursuit of a second 8 p.m. face-off on ESPN down at Ball Arena. Enjoy the game. We'll obviously talk about it tomorrow and preview the Nuggets game two with the Timberwolves as well. Thanks to Kyle Fredrickson for joining us from the Colorado Gazette. Kyle Fredrickson on Twitter. Thanks to Danny Bailey, making everything sound good in the booth. Andrew Detmer, making us look better than we actually probably look. We'll do that in a minute or two. Also, when we make our post-game show that you'll be able to catch on My Life Sports Twitter account as well. So, we'll hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive. Anil Lapiro and Cody Rourke. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you tomorrow, but keep it right here. My Life Sports.